0: Hello, political junkies, and welcome to this special post-midterms podcast and this week's reporters' roundtable on the Bill Press Pod. Well, you know, even old-timers like me and David Jackson have to admit, (laughs) we've never seen an election quite like this one. The pollsters got it wrong, the media got it wrong, the Republicans got it wrong, everybody got it wrong, except the voters. The first big surprise, of course, there was no big red wave, maybe just a big red ripple. The second big surprise, here on this Friday morning, four days later, we still don't know for sure which party is going to control the House or the Senate. Uh, And that rumbling you hear? No, it's not Republicans urging Donald Trump to hurry up and announce for 2024. Au contraire, it's Republicans blaming him for their midterm debacle, urging Donald Trump to get the hell out of the way. So we ask today's panel what happened, what's it all mean, and where do we go from here? Joining us today, David Jackson, national political correspondent for USA Today. David, welcome back. Hey, Bill, how you doing? And Jessica Taylor, senator and governor's editor for the Great Cook Political Report. Hello, Jessica.
2: Hi. Thanks for having me.
0: Great to have you both here. Now, uh,
2: I want to I want to
0: read a couple of headlines. Uh, In the last couple of weeks before the election, uh, this is uh, October 19, New York Times, headline, Democrats feared Red October has arrived. October 25, Democrats brace for red wave in-house. On CNN, October 26, why the midterms are going to be great for Donald Trump. So, Obviously that's not exactly what happened. Uh I just like your take from the thirty thousand foot level. Jessica, what the hell happened?
2: This really was not a traditional midterm. And you know, we saw signs early on that they it may buck the trend, but I mean that new that article was sort of what I was hearing from people. I mean, Democrats were optimistic. I think the tide clearly turned over the summer with the Dobbs decision. And that energized Democratic voters in a new way. And you had, you know, Republicans really had such problematic candidates, especially in these Senate races. And you had Democrats that were running much better campaigns. But then you look at the fundamentals that were still there, 40-year high inflation, President uh, Biden's approval ratings sinking. You know, in August and September, I looked at the president's approval ratings in the battleground states, and he was above 40. Narrowly in some of the places, but then I looked at them again the week before the election, and in places like Arizona, Pennsylvania, he was below. He was in the mid to high thirties, and that's just danger territory. We typically don't see that candidates can run that far ahead of a president's approval ratings in midterms, but it happened. Mm -hmm. And I I just think this was, um, it was one I think we're going to be dissecting for a while because again, it did not follow any of the traditional midterm. ways that we have seen. And, you know, Democrats, I was talking to even the week before they wished that one wished to me that the election had been held a month ago. And they, they were like, I think we would have won them. But we've seen this deterioration. And then I was texting with one uh, pollster uh, a couple of days before the election, just asking him how the environment looked. And he just simply texted back a poop emoji. So um, (laughs) Democrats were not expecting this, I don't think. Um, And certainly the public polls, at least some Democratic polls were more rosy, but even the fundamentals underneath those had people skeptical.
0: So, David, how did the media miss all of this? Uh, I mean, you know, <laughs> hey, we what can only you... deal with the information presented to us. Um, I,
3: I think it's for the reasons Jessica said. I mean, the, the the polls, the polls didn't show a clear Republican victory in my view, but they did toward in the last couple of weeks. They showed clear momentum toward the Republicans, mm-hmm. and the the uh, the environment was very favorable to Republicans, and the numbers were going up. So people figured that that would play on out, and they would have a good election day. Well, they didn't. Uh, but a couple of things. But I, my, my explanation is very simplified. I think it's all boiled down to Donald Trump. I think the Donald Trump Republican, the Donald Trumpified Republican Party just can't forge a national majority, just can't do it. This is four elections in a row where they haven't done it. Even Trump himself, mm-hmm. you know, famously lost the popular vote in 2016. So and I think it manifests itself in several ways. Um, is, but most specifically, bad candidates. I mean, Mehmet Oz was a terrible candidate in Pennsylvania. Herschel Walker, terrible candidate. Blake Masters, Arizona, terrible candidate. And there, there's, those were all Trump candidates. And they manifested his worst instincts and they weren't able to win what should have been very winnable races. Uh, I know that abortion has also played a very big factor as well. And um, I'm, I'm eager to look at the numbers and try to suss out exactly how that played out. But even abortion, if you think about it, is a Trump issue because Trump judges were the ones who solidified mm-hmm. the uh, Dobbs majority. So I, I think it's just as simple as the fact that th- this was a spectacular environment for Republicans. It was as good an environment as they had in 1994 and in 2010, but they weren't able to do anything this year. And I, I think it all boils down to Donald Trump. I agree
2: with David on that. I mean, echoing what he said, it's Republicans kind of snatch defeat from the jaws of victory. And a midterm election is supposed to be a referendum on the current president. But we have never had a former president that has inserted himself this much into an election typically presidents go off, they start foundations, they travel the country, they travel the world. Um, You know, if you're Jimmy Carter, you're building Habitat houses, like they involve themselves in politics some, but not to the extent that Trump has and not to the extent that he backed these candidates and in almost all cases backed the worst candidate possible and sort of left Republicans with these very weak candidates. And, you know, again, he was traveling over the summer he, he was injected back into into the politics and into public consciousness. And David, what David said about the abortion issue and judges is right on as well. But he kind of disappeared. But this last week or so, he was back on the trail, and he's teasing a midterm. Uh, I mean, a twenty twenty four endorsement. And for a lot of people, you know, I watched a lot of focus groups this cycle, and it was I was looking at voters that had voted for trump in 2016 but voted for biden in 2020 and they were one thing i heard that was consistent is that they don't want trump to run and they don't want biden to run but with trump especially if there were candidates of his that um they had backed it, it, they became far more skeptical of that
0: yeah uh so uh since you both jumped to donald trump uh, let, uh, let's <laughs> uh, let's go there um we know that. No, exactly. And I I totally agree with you. Um, Let's go to the the, the former president. Uh, He gave a now famous uh, interview the the day before the election on election eve uh, to News Nation uh, about uh, what his attitude would be uh, if the Republicans won or lost. Here's the former president. Well, I think if they win, I should get all the
3: credit. And if they lose, I should not be blamed at all. OK, <laughs> when they win, I think they're going to do very well. I'll probably be given very little credit, even though in many cases I told people to run and they uh, ran and they turned out to be very good candidates.
0: So, David, that's not exactly <laughs> what people are saying today, right? There it is. I mean, that's just Trump. All
3: <laughs> the, you know, things go well. I deserve all the credit. If they don't go well. I deserve none of the blame. It's it's it's. that's him. That's him. That's the way he feels about it. And, but I think it's more the latter than the former. And I I think he's, he's responsible for the Republicans poor showing though. He'll never acknowledge it. And and, and a lot of his supporters will never acknowledge it
0: either. Well, but I've been surprised how, how many people, Republicans still, maybe not Mitch McConnell, not Kevin McCarthy, but some big names have been willing to come out and point the finger right at him. Uh, Jessica, here's a couple. I want to play back to back, uh, Jay, if we can. Uh, winsome sears who's the uh, republican lieutenant governor of virginia first and then senator toomey from pennsylvania
2: the voters have spoken and they have said that they want a different leader and a true
0: leader understands when they have become a liability
3: president trump had to insert himself and that changed the nature of the race and that
0: created just too much of an obstacle and by the way it's not just pennsylvania you look all over the country yes there's a very high correlation between MAGA candidates and big losses so jessica um what is how does this set the stage for donald trump's uh at least at least we expect announcement to run for 2024
2: next week (laughs) right tuesday night 9 p.m mar-a-lago I mean, it's like the least suspenseful thing ever, but, you know, I was seeing some of these people, some Pat Toomey, I'm not that surprised by him saying that he was never like a super Trumpy guy. And here's the ironic thing that the way that Trump has changed the party, it forced a lot of people, I think, to look at it and say, do I want to be a part of this conference anymore? Someone like Pat Toomey that I think if he had run, this seat probably wouldn't have been competitive and Republicans would have held it. The same thing in Ohio with Rob Portman. Now, J.D. Vance ended up hanging on there, but he had to be bailed out with millions and millions of dollars from McConnell's super PAC, the Senate Leadership Fund. Um, the Winsome Sears one surprised me a little bit yesterday. She's someone that were, ran on a very Trumpy platform, was um, you know very involved. Uh, she's an African-American woman, was involved in African-Americans for Trump, um, and in Virginia there. And so her, her, she, she surprised me a bit, But again, I always just feel like, yes, and I was feeling this, you know, as I got back to my house around like 3.30 a.m. I think on election night and looking at all of this and thinking, okay, any Republican that looks at this should should be able to say we we blew this essentially. And it was because of Trump and the Trump backed candidates. But in the same way that you had people start to rebuke him after January 6th, which, I mean, there's no comparison to what happened on January 6th in the election, right. let me clarify, but just sort of the, the rebukes that he got, and then they backed away from that. And does that happen, though? That's the question to me.
0: Well, yeah. What do you think about that, David? I mean, we've seen these um, decision points before, right? Right. Where a lot of us said, "Well, this is it for Donald Trump, right?" I mean, going back to when he slammed and slurred John McCain, right, in the primary, right? Oh, At the that's very it. the very start of campaign. Yeah. Uh, and certainly, as Jessica points out, after Jan- after the second impeachment, January sixth, oh, Republicans have to impeach yeah. him this time, right? And they had a chance, and they didn't. So it's there's no guarantee that they even after this that they'll dump Trump, is it? <laughs>
3: That's right. And uh, it's funny you should say that. Our old friend Maggie Heyerman just tweeted, Trump is more vulnerable than he's been in a long time, but that has happened before and he survived.
0: There you go. That's
3: certainly true. And you made a good point, Bill. A lot of Republican office holders and Mm -hmm. people we know, the Pat Toomey's of the world and such, are coming out against Trump on the record. They've been talking about him on background for quite some time. When, I'm, when I talk about the Trump, I'm, I'm talking about the Trump base—the people who show up to his rallies and people who vote—and yeah. the rank and file Republicans. The real question is how they feel about this and if, if they're, if they're going to stick with Trump or if they're going to look around. Now, I've talked to many people who've conducted focus groups, and in those sessions, Republican voters said, "Hey, yeah, we, we'd like to we'd like to check out some alternatives." And Ron DeSantis is getting a very good look see as we speak. Uh, but the question is, do people actually move forward and work against Trump? That's going to be the question, and there's no way to answer that right now.
0: I want to go back to some of the issues both of you mentioned. Um, Nate Cohn, uh, front page of the New York Times today, uh, headline, election denial and end of row shaped the results, democracy and abortion. Jessica, what are you finding that really drove people out to vote?
2: I mean, we are seeing an uptick in younger voters. That's one thing that's notable. And listen, I think we still have to parse some of these results, but- I mean, clearly that was a motivating issue. Even in some of the polling we were seeing these d- democracy issues, I think in the final NBC poll, um, it was pretty high there. I just continue to think, again, you know, as election analysts, we have to look at fundamentals and we have to look at history. And the pa- most recent midterm elections have all followed that history. 2018, Trump loses the House. 2014, Obama loses the Senate. 2018, 10, Obama loses the house 2006 Bush loses the house right I mean, these follow a pattern and again and it has to be some major event that changes it like it did in 2002 um when we were sort of still in the post 9-11 rally around the flag effect and Republicans did work did not suffer there at the polls if they gained seats um but was this perhaps a turning point of 50 years of rolling back rights that wasn't mm-hmm. to that, perhaps, and you have democracy so unstable it feels like at times and with pe- with people on the ballot that were just complete election deniers in the face of facts. I mean, I will say it looks like um we're still waiting of course on the outcome in uh in Arizona there with Carrie Lake, who's been one of the top election deniers, but across the board, some of these people people lost governorships and Certainly, Pennsylvania Doug Mastriano got crushed there, and Michigan Tudor Dixon and uh, Wisconsin Tim Michaels. And it also looks like many of these Secretary of States that also ran on on election denialism will not end up winning, and that's good news for. I mean, I mean that that really reshapes what happens in 2024. And Trump, if he wins, and if he if he wins the nomination, and if he is the is the is the is the general election candidate he's not going to have people in these places like he hoped he would that would sort of bend to his will um you know the republican clearly he is he is desantis had the best night of any republican hands down right and you know i think trump might have been able to spend the losses a little better across the country had ron desantis not just completely crushed in his reelection bid and so he's now the hot new thing. I mean, he was sending out a, a long missive yesterday to reporters, um, you know, mocking Ron DeSantis. And I mean, it just read it was like, yeah, you're not <laughs> yeah. With him at all. You know, that you why, why, why would you put out this, you know, 500 word statement if, if you're not worried about him at all or different things? Here's yeah. the thing I look at, though, if we start presidential if we start the presidential primary cycle, because Republican primaries. Are winner take all. This is how Trump got the nomination in the first place. If they were proportional like Democrats, I don't think he would have been nominated. But mm-hmm. if he's still I still think he has like a, a, a floor there um with his loyal supporters and Can DeSantis sort of get everybody else, that's the question, and who else gets in, you know, other Trump. Um, you know, deniers. that would be very different, even from DeSantis, like you know, a Chris Sununu or uh, Larry Hogan or something. So, it's it's the difference in how the how the primaries are run, and that's one that benefits a candidate like Trump.
0: Right. Okay. Before we get too far down the road on twenty twenty four and potential uh, Republican or Democratic nominees, I want to come back to again what what uh, what were the t- determining factors. In this vote, which we're still trying to uh, understand and will be for a long time, uh, David, uh, I want to play for you. I think the person who might have um, summed up exactly what happened the best and explained what and happened and why is, believe it or not, Republican Senator Ted Cruz. Here he is. Look, why did the Democrats do better than expected? Because for two years, they've governed as liberals. They've governed as whacked-out lefty nut jobs, And you know what that did? That excited their base. That excited a bunch of young voters that came out in massive numbers. Because when you actually stand for something, your base gets excited. What do you think, David? I mean, young people did come out, as Jessica pointed out, in record numbers. So did women. And it looks like abortion environment. Have you talked— that Maxwell Frost, uh, the Gen, Gen Z, who got elected in, Flor- right. in Florida
3: on the gun Replaced issue, Val Deming, yes, replace Val Deming. Yeah, um, well, you know, you should listen to Ted Bill. He has some good things to say every now and then. <laughs> no, t- um, <laughs> I think he certainly as far as it goes. I think he's right about that part the, the Democratic yeah. base was obviously very excited. But uh, I, I still think, I, with all due respect to Nate Cohen, I think election denialism was a, was an overrated issue. it's it's, it's uh-huh. Trump. It's Trump, and not only Trump, but the mm-hmm. Trump style because a lot of these candidates were just, let's let's face it, a lot of these candidates were just weird or bad. I mean, Doug mm-hmm. Mastriano, I mean, anybody who saw him on the stump is going to look at him and say, this is a guy who's running for governor. I just think, you know, several hundred thousand people in Pennsylvania did that and, and voted accordingly. Uh, Blake Masters was a very unusual candidate. Herschel Walker was probably the least qualified Senate candidate I've ever seen. So it's just I, I, I just can't help. It. I hate keep repeating myself, but it just all boils down to Trump and the Trump style. And also, he, in response to Ted Cruz's analysis, I would argue that Ted, that Trump and Cruz, for that matter, have dragged the Republican party too far to the right. You know, right wing wackos. I think that's the mm-hmm. that's a bigger problem, and that was a bigger influence on this particular election.
0: Uh, and certainly, Jessica, I think uh, Lindsey Graham's call for a national ban on abortion. Uh, didn't necessarily prove as a winner for dem for republicans
2: it did not i had talked with a lot of senators about that and um you know they were privately very much cringing and remember the day that he announced it there was actually really bad inflation news right as the white house and biden were getting ready to sign the inflation reduction act so republicans could have had this news cycle that turned it back to the economy mm-hmm. again but then graham introduced this bill and that's all the news is about he completely steps on it and you know especially because hey, okay, the decision came down end of june and sort of what the republican message which wasn't very you know rehearsed or coherent really at all they really struggled you think after the leak after the decision leak they would have had sort of been more ready for a response but was Look, this should be a state issue. It's going to be sent back to the states. But now you have Graham yeah. doing this. And, you know, Republicans that are running in states like Nevada, Oregon, they sort of thought that this issue of abortion was going to be off the table because their states had already codified it into law. But if this 15-week abortion ban passes, it supersedes that. So suddenly, you're looking at it differently, and it's just not the conversation that republic that many candidates and campaigns were wanting to have. And I mean, it was a major, I think, error by by Graham, and not one that won him any plaudits within the Republican caucus. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's. But I think back to, you know, the Graham pre-Trump, you know, what he said, um, uh, he, you know, after before he became a trump acolyte it was we're going to get we're going to nominate donald trump and we're going to get killed and (laughs) they've they've lost the house they've lost this or i mean they lost the house when he was there they may win it back but very narrowly not by what they thought and they lost the senate and i don't think it looks like they're going to win the senate back this year (laughs) even though it was clearly there for the taking
0: So we still have some more uh, outstanding Senate and House races. We'll get to that right after the break. But before we take a break, I just want to take a moment to get both of your thoughts on what this means. We talked so much about the former president, what this all means for the current president. I saw a note this morning on one of the newsletters, many I read every morning, that called Joe Biden the most underestimated president uh, in modern times. Uh, David, nobody seems to want to give him credit. And yet he defied the odds in this case. Don't you think he's got to get some credit? Oh, well, yeah,
3: for sure. He deserves a lot of credit. He's, he's getting some negative credit. You know, earlier this week, we were all wondering who, which Democrats were going to come out and tell him not to run if things went bad on Tuesday. Well, those voices yeah. are <laughs> totally silent right now and just celebrating their uh, success. Uh, I think it puts Biden in a much better political position. Uh, he's... He's he and his top aides have insisted all along he's going to run in 2024 and show us we don't know what we're talking about. Well, he's he feels even stronger about that today. So barring some kind of health issue, I think he's going to run. He's going to be nominated
0: and we'll see who he runs against with the Republicans. How do you rate his uh, standing today after post midterms, Jessica?
2: I mean, he again, like David said, I think he's better off than he was, certainly. But are there still problems Are there still cracks there? I think there is. I mean, Biden is just the problem is I think a lot of people that voted for Biden voted for him as a transition president and whether that's going to happen again, I, what I have heard echoed in every focus group I've watched is that no one wants a retrench of Biden versus Trump.
1: Mm-hmm. And
2: I think you know, there's clearly questions about his health and his age and different things. Um, I mean I'm not with the people who you know think that he's suffering from dementia or anything, but because i think if you if you follow Biden for any amount of time, you know that he just has verbal gas that's just biden um and different things but uh you know it could give him a i don't know like i just think that there is still a push for a generational shift within democratic party and we saw a lot of people win those types of races that could be future candidates of the josh shapiro in pennsylvania the governor-elect i think is going to be a rising star Uh, Wes moore um in maryland i mean gretchen whitmer is still there after after a win and different things so it's just how how impatient could people get of wanting to have sort of new blood
0: uh yeah, I just have to point out every time somebody tells me mentions uh, Joe Biden's age to me. Yeah, he will be eighty next year. Uh, Republicans this in month, Iowa will be eighty
3: this. He'll be oh, eighty this, on November twentieth. No, I'm
0: sorry, mm-hmm. I'm sorry. This month, right? This month. Thank you, thank you, David. Sorry about that. Um, no, no, no. I uh, I meant to say next. Anyhow, yes, you're right. Uh, but we, Republicans and I were just reelected Chuck Grassley, who is hello eighty nine. All right, yes. so. Uh, (laughs) I guess it's all relative. Here we go. We're going to come back and take a look at what is still outstanding with uh, Jessica Taylor and uh, David Jackson, Jessica Taylor from the Cook Political Report, of course, and David Jackson from USA Today, here on today's roundtable. We'll be right back. (music) And today's roundtable is brought to you by the Laborers International Union of North America, or LIUNA, as they call themselves. Over half a million strong, the good men and women of the Laborers Union under the leadership of President Terry O'Sullivan, who will be stepping down as longtime president of the Laborers at the end of the year. Uh, The Laborers Union, very active in construction, of course, that's their main effort, uh, rebuilding America's infrastructure, active in the energy field as well, building those old-fashioned pipelines as well as new solar panels and wind turbines and also many members active in the healthcare industry. The Laborers Union, check out their website at liunalyuna.org. We thank them for their great work building America. Thank them for their support of the Bill Press Pod.
1: Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free?
2: Be continued at
0: scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. And we're back with today's roundtable here on the Bill Press Pod. Again, joining us, national political correspondent for USA Today, David Jackson, senator and governor's editor at the Cook Political Report, Jessica Taylor, and now joined also by Alex Seitzwald senior digital politics reporter for NBC News. Uh, Welcome back to all of you. As we speak, the House is uh, undecided, but leaning Republican. The Senate uh, still undecided with outstanding races in Arizona and Nevada yet to be decided and the runoff in Georgia on December 6th. Okay, Jessica, as the senator editor for Cook Political Report, uh, why don't you just... Break the suspense and tell us who's gonna win Arizona and Nevada. And Georgia <laughs> while you're at it. I don't know.
2: Yeah. Care. Well, here's who I think has the best chance at this point. I spent a lot of time yesterday talking to people and especially in Arizona and Nevada about what is still outstanding. Um there were some new votes that came in last night, I know, uh in Arizona. Kelly is still up, I think, ahead of where he needs to be. And some of these votes that are going to come in are, is going to narrow the race that particularly some of these, they, they when I was talking with some Democrats there in the state, they saw that later early voting tended to do vote more Republican. There's some election day Uh, day of voting that is still out there, but particularly people who dropped off their ballots in person on election day. And that is trending more Republican. But with what we believe is outstanding, it is not enough to sort of narrow Kelly's lead enough until allow Masters to come back. Now, he is still saying that is a possibility. But again, many sources I've talked to, this is where they think that is, um, you know, so that, that race has not been called yet by the AP. We will wait for that.
0: But let me, let me stop you right there just to, to – so, David, do you, do you agree Arizona looks like Mark Kelly holds on?
3: For sure. That's definitely what I'm hearing. And um, Mastow looks like it has a good chance in Nevada. The Republicans oh, well, that I know aren't to, yeah. optimistic about either race.
0: Uh-huh. Uh, Alex, what's your call on Arizona?
1: Uh, I, I would agree that I would much rather be Kelly right now than Masters.
0: <laughs> yeah. All right. Jessica, uh, David mentioned Nevada. How about Nevada? Uh, where there are ninety-five what thousand votes still to be counted, or so?
2: Yeah, we're still trying to figure. That's that's the thing. You're still trying to figure out exactly how many and mail-in votes, if they can come in after election day, depending upon you know when they are postmarked by. So Adam Laxalt, the Republican, there is still leading Catherine Cortez Masto. However, when you look at where the outstanding vote still is, it's in Clark. It's particularly in Washoe. Um, which are the two biggest swing counties? And uh, uh if you look at John Ralston, uh, the Nevada Independent, longtime political guru there in the state, he's he's who I look to for for certainly guidance on a lot of these things. No one knows the state better, you know. Of the vote, he he tweeted last night that she needs to be winning, you know, between six. She had been winning sixty five. That went down a little bit, but it was still above sixty she could even get down to 55% of what's coming in and still win. So Mm -hmm. I expect to see more numbers come out today, hopefully that um, we could see. uh, I just hope there are more numbers to clarify that, not know who wins, but um, that she could, she could leapfrog uh, Laxalt in that regard. So Mm -hmm. again, I think both of those are going to go democratic. And that means then that, the Georgia runoff is not for control of the Senate. Control of the Senate if they if Democrats win those two seats is assured to be at least a fifty fifty majority
0: right uh, uh David, do you're from South Carolina right next door to georgia what what do you hear? what do you read and what do you do, do you agree that uh, Warnock has the advantage in the runoff? Uh, yeah, without question, I think even I think both parties
3: will tell you they feel like Warnock has the advantage because there was a definite lack of Republican enthusiasm for Walker. He ran well behind Brian Kemp, the winning governor's candidate. He won't have Kemp on the ballot in the runoff. So there's a lot of questions as to how enthusiastic the GOP will be about Walker in a runoff. So I think I don't think there's no, there's no question that Warnock's the favorite, and uh, that, that's all there is to it. So there's not a lot of optimism among Republicans about these outstanding races.
0: So, Alex, uh, looking at Georgia— With this runoff, uh, again, it may not determine control of the Senate, but it will give certainly to Democrats an edge if they were 51 instead of 50. The big question I hear about Georgia is, can they keep, do they want Donald Trump to come in and campaign for Herschel Walker? How do you see it, Alex?
1: I think they would, uh, at this point, I think you have to assume that Trump is more of a help to Democrats than he is to Republicans after the results Tuesday. Where not only did Republicans underperform, but specifically the the candidates most closely associated with Trump underperformed relative to other Republicans. Uh, and you know, I think for for the challenge for both parties, but it's, but for Democrats too, is going to be getting their their voters to turn out again. You know, after having just voted. Uh, in November. And without the control of the Senate on the line, the stakes are going to seem a lot lower. So mm-hmm. having Trump come in, that would get a lot of attention. It would you know, motivate the base. Uh, and I think at this point, it, it looks like Trump is more of a motivator to the Democratic base than he is to the Republican one.
0: Can they keep him out?
1: <laughs> can, can, can anybody stop Trump from doing anything? Uh, is there, and, and, and does Herschel Walker want him there i mean i think that's also the good question i don't know that we can um assume that herschel walker has the most uh the best political acumen at this point um so he might he might want him there and you know yeah i think i think trump might just not be able to resist the chance to to go down there because he's now got to shore up his own uh 2024 chances and he was eyeing an announcement you know days from now um so i i think he's going to want to put himself in front of a camera as much as possible I, i would guess
0: right um david i want to come back to you because you're you're here in washington uh let's take a look at the house i think it's just the most amazing of all that again on this friday morning we have an idea but we still don't know for sure which party will control the house um and kevin mccarthy predicted they would pick up 60 seats right ain't gonna be anywhere close david
3: no, not even close. And it was it was foolish of McCarthy and other Republicans to make those kind of predictions. You know, people forget two years ago they won. They picked up 14 house seats. People forget that. So there weren't that many more seats to get in the mm. first place. And but it was obvious that it was not going to be six, 50, 60. Well, it was obvious for it's been obvious for months that they weren't going to have a 2010 type of year. But uh, even but I having said that, I'm surprised at how poorly they've done. I mean, they could be they could be as low as 220 in the end. And uh, that that is something they didn't expect. And I think it actually endangers McCarthy's chances to be Speaker of the House. I mean, that could be a real mess if enough uh, far-right members don't want McCarthy after all this. So it's uh, it's, it's not going to be a very pleasant experience for the House Republicans, even if they hold on to the majority.
0: Yeah. Jessica, uh, David's right. There are several members already, including the chair of the, uh, the Freedom Caucus, right? Say let's not not so fast, right? Let's slow things down. Let's not rush into making McCarthy speaker. And but even if he becomes speaker, uh, he's going to be really beholden to the, the Freedom Caucus. I guess is going to be pulling the strings. It looks that way, correct? How do you yeah? Sir, do you see they, it?
2: They've made headaches for every uh, most recent past uh, Republican Speaker of the House, John Boehner and Paul Ryan. So you mm-hmm. know, McCarthy's more. You know, they think they have a better relationship with him, but nothing is assured. And, you know, one of the things I'm looking at, even the down ballot leadership, um, you have uh, Tom Emmer, who led the NRCC, um, angling for whip. And, you know, there was uh, Jonathan Martin now back at Politico reported yesterday, too, that. Uh, Rick Scott, who uh, led the NRSC, had quite a few tiffs with McConnell over how they were running. That certainly um, had been readying a video; had been already taped a video to challenge McConnell for House leader or, or Senate leader, rather. And you know, you actually have to win in order to
1: <laughs> in,
2: in order to make the case that you should have a better leadership position. Like Repub- Republicans fell short of their stated goal to flip the senate that's what it looks like now unless we see something change in these arizona and nevada races and based on the projections just a single digit victory is also not going to give mccarthy a lot of leeway if you have people like marjorie taylor green you know lauren mm-hmm. loba's not quite a scare though i think it looks like she's gonna hang on in her race what's interesting to me though too is some of these democrats that did win i mean we have to look at the Democratic uh, campaign committee too, where its own chair got defeated, Sean <laughs> Patrick Maloney. Um also a lesson there, maybe not to Bigfoot another member, um, amidst redistricting and different things. But if you know, some of these people, and if people coming we're still waiting on California, some of these Republicans that were elected in bluer states, they are striking a more moderate tone. And if the if the um you know, if the balance is very close, could democrats even reach out to them to try to bring them on board with things like spending bills and funding the government and debt ceiling and ukraine aid and different things so i mean he's not going to have mccarthy is not going to have he's going to have to work for this really to, to try to get votes this is not going to be an easy thing
0: right and let's remember he was uh, almost speaker but eight 12 years ago right and the freedom caucus uh Turned against him at the very last moment, an elected yeah. Paul Ryan speaker. Um, this election, several people have said, uh, is really maybe a turning point. We've talked earlier about how it could be a turning point in the Republican Party, turning against Trump. Uh, Alex, I was impressed by um, uh, your article, and then for NBC, that it this election may prove to be a turning point also in the way. Uh, people accept defeat as opposed to uh, in 2020. Um, As one example, uh, here is Democratic Senate candidate in Ohio, Tim Ryan. I have the privilege to concede
1: this race to J.D. Vance because the way this country operates is that when you lose an election,
0: you concede. So, Alex, as you point out, that was true on the Republican and the Democratic side.
1: Yeah, I mean that's just classy. I think Tim Ryan had had one of the best concessions uh, of the night, and the fact that we're even talking about this is, of course, you know, yeah. notable and would be would be remarkable to anyone living in a different uh, political era because it was so taken for granted. But uh, I do think it's very reassuring because after twenty twenty, there was this big question. You know, was this just Trump uh, leading this effort to overturn the twenty twenty election, or was he setting a new playbook, a new a new precedent for how Republicans going forward would deal with any election loss? You know, was this just going to be the new thing that every Republican did? They always cried um, fraud and fought things, and you know, there goes elections. Basically, was the fear. And so far, at least, it looks like most Republican candidates, including ones who were pretty closely associated with Trump, who won their Republican primaries uh, because Trump endorsed them, including the, the guy who ran for governor in Maryland, who was at the January 6th rally, mm-hmm. organized buses to go to the January 6th rally. They have all offered uh, quick admissions of defeat. And not only that, but they've been gracious in it. They've you know offered prayers and best wishes for for the winning candidates. So I, I, I think, you know, we're still early, let's, let's like cross our fingers and knock on wood here. <laughs> but I think that this does suggest that it was really, uh, uh, 2020 was really a top-down thing driven by Trump personally and not by the wider Republican party. Uh, and I think because of that scare and because there's, there's been all this fear of political violence in the air about uh, you know, elections that don't go our way, <sighs> Uh, people are being extra cautious to to concede. you're hearing things like Tim Ryan. Stacey Abrams, who did not uh, Mm -hmm. uh, uh, concede her 2018 election, immediately conceded in 2020. So she conceded 2022 before she conceded 2018.
0: Yeah, right. Uh, And uh, Mehmet Oz, also in Pennsylvania, right, Uh, gave a very graceful, consistent speech, uh, as I saw. So a a change in tone, uh, and maybe another turning point, David, um, in terms of chaos post election, I mean, a lot of people were afraid this is going to be again multiple lawsuits and challenges and, you know, armed guards showing up at the polling places. For the most part, everything worked pretty smoothly. A couple of glitches in Arizona, which were qu- quickly fixed, but not a lot of problems getting the vote and not a lot of problems counting the vote so far. So far, yeah, I, for the most part, I would agree with you. Um, I always thought that
3: the whole election island protest was kind of an overrated issue, because most of the people who were threatening to do that weren't going to either weren't going to win or weren't office holders, so they couldn't do anything. If Carrie Lake winds up losing this governor's race, there's not a darn thing she can do about it except sue. So it's really not worth worrying about. I would caveat that bill by saying though, the Maricopa County, Arizona, had some problems. We've had some problems in Nevada, and I still think this idea that we have to wait so many days to find out who winners are. I, I think it's very disturbing to a lot of voters. I know I understand why it is and what mail voting has done to the counting process and all that stuff. But I, I think it's, I think it's a, a, a problem that's going to be there for a while. I think a lot, there are a lot of voters across the country who wonder why don't we know who won these elections three days out.
0: Mm-hmm. So Jessica, a final word here before we get to our favorite stories of the week. So where do you think this, so, To the extent that we know the results so far, uh, how does this position the Democratic Party and the Republican Party moving forward?
2: Well, I mean, Republicans, if they do get a majority in the House, again, as I mentioned, it's a very narrow one. Does that impact? You know, They sort of had these agendas certainly to push back at the Biden White House. I think we were going to see investigations. We were going to see, um, you know, increase into hunter biden and different things impeachment i mean I, mm, there were okay. various people i think they could have brought up for impeachment they certainly some of the further right people you heard them talk about maybe they that's not possible anymore because like i mentioned they are getting a lot more sort of moderate members in some of these places um so that can impact it and again if you have a senate that is still democratic um in fact they'll if if they if warnock holds on in um, the, the runoff, which I agree with David, I think that he has the better chance right now, um, just looking at all the fundamentals, then they've actually gained a seat. So can they even get a few more things done with... You know, instead of with uh, Joe Manchin and Kirsten Cinema. However, I will note, um, looking ahead to the twenty twenty four map, it is inc- incredibly difficult one for Democrats that they're going to have to defend people like Manchin and uh, Joe uh, uh, John Tester in Montana and Sherrod Brown in Ohio. Um, they're defending, you know, uh, the majority of the seats, and some of that could get difficult. I mean, Kirsten Sinema, I think she's going to face a primary challenge. So, you know. It, 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 2024, in many regards, begins not just for the presidential election, um, but for that. So uh, you will have divided government still, I think, but it won't be two Republican houses against the presidency. It will at least be another Democrat-Republican in the the Congress and then the presidency.
0: Yeah. And President Biden said this week it uh, may make it a little more difficult, but he's still going to charge forward with his agenda. So off we go. A big thank you. Great look back at uh, what we know so far about the results of the midterm elections and where we are today with David Jackson and Jessica Taylor and Alex Seitzwald. Now, before we let you go, we always say there's one story that captures your attention, even in a week like this week, where almost everything was uh, all about the midterm elections. Um, what story c- stopped you in your tracks uh, this week? David, start us off, please. <laughs> well, after a uh... After covering the Trump rally in Latrobe,
3: Pennsylvania, which was a less than inspiring experience, I sat down at the <laughs> hotel bar and watched the final innings of the World Series. I uh, uh, wasn't wow. crazy about the fact the Houston Astros won because they were caught cheating, stealing signs several years back, but I was ecstatic for their manager Dusty Baker, seventy three year old Dusty Baker, yeah, who's been yeah. who began his playing career <laughs> in nineteen sixty eight. He's been managing since nineteen ninety three, and he was always being bad rap because his teams never performed well in the postseason. Well. They certainly performed well this year, and it was very inspiring and exciting to see him running around, hugging people, giving interviews to everybody, and just, his face was just a glow. So, you know, Bill, you, you and I, all, all those old guys need to stick together, so we all need to be very happy for uh, Dusty Baker, who is now a World Series champion
0: after all these years. Absolutely, and you know the fact that the Nationals fired Dusty Baker, oh. the biggest mistake they ever made. Oh, I'm so mad about that. Yeah. Yes, yeah uh okay jessica how about you your favorite story of the week
2: so mine is a political one and when i saw this headline on twitter the other day i kind of did a double take um tillis cunningham to talk about across the aisle friendship and this may be a flashback to the north carolina senate race last cycle um you know very bitter race there one of the highest spent races that tillis ended up hanging on and winning of course cal cunningham had an extramarital affair that came out but it turns out they they gave this talk at UNC last night and they became friends like talking in, at the debates between commercials and different things and huh. after you know i mean Cunningham again graciously conceded and they started having like dinner and lunch together and different things. And they've, I, he says, you know, if I want to understand what Democrats are thinking, I call up Cal and all of this. So, uh, you know, they've kind of joked about barbecue uh, Cunningham had that really bad, selfie, you know, where he's just standing in front of a, a grill and saying, it's time for barbecue. And that's not exactly what we call barbecue in the South. Um, <laughs> and uh, Tillis even says, he told his campaign, like not to, uh, not to harp on that, just let it play out itself. Well,
0: I guess maybe a good sign, right?
2: Yes. So, you know, people, as we're talking about, you know, sort of this maybe comedy that's been lost, um, you know, here are two people, very opposite sides of the political spectrum had very bitter, uh, very bitter race, but they came out of it friends. So, So,
0: yeah, singing Joe Biden's song, more or less, right? (laughs) Alex Eichwald, as busy as you were this week, uh, what caught your attention?
1: Uh, well the the story that I was has just floored me this week I think would be getting a lot more attention except that it coincided exactly with the election which is the stunning uh, fall of this crypto billionaire Sam oh Bankman Freed, yeah and who is relevant to everything that we're talking about because he is also a major Democratic donor mm-hmm. has given tens of millions of dollars and had positioned himself in tons of uh, media profiles including one that I wrote Uh Uh, To be kind of the next, you know, George Soros or Michael Bloomberg or Tom Steyer, he was going to be a a, a defining feature funder of the Democratic Party. And Mm -hmm. uh, just like literally four minutes ago, uh, they just put out a statement saying that his giant crypto trading firm has gone into Chapter 11 bankruptcy and he has resigned as CEO. Uh, So the entire political operation seems to be Mm -hmm. resigning and shutting down. So this is just a stunning fall. I think there's going to be a a lot more to learn about what's going on there. It looks like there was some shady stuff. And uh, Michael Lewis, the the fabulous author, he was working on a book about Sam Begman Fried before this all started. (laughs) So now his book just got way more interesting, and I am very excited to read that uh, when it comes out.
0: Uh, they couldn't have anybody better to write that book than Michael Lewis by the way yeah, but uh that is uh that was a really stunning development well I have to i want to come back to politics too from my uh favorite story of the week um and Alex this sort of builds on your point about the concessions and the change of tone um and I thought this is a great it's actually a letter to the editor in yesterday morning's new york times it's real short i 'm going to read the whole thing um so this Alice Walker, her name is, writes in, As a recent immigrant to the United States from the UK, I voted for the first time this week. When I reached my polling station at a swimming pool off-season, I informed the staff on duty as I didn't really know what to do. Hey, we got a first-time voter, the man said, and the entire place stood up and applauded. She writes, That moment will stay with me for the rest of my life, I'd like to thank the good people at the red hook pool for reminding me how beautiful and how powerful democracy can be. Isn't that great? I just thought that was I a great that. feel good story. Nice. Right. Yeah. And I would first... add
2: a shout out to all the poll workers that worked this election. We've seen clearly over the past year, few years that that is not an easy job. They've been vilified in different things. And these are just people trying yeah. to make democracy work. So thank you poll workers.
0: Amen to that. Yeah. And it did work and it does work. So and a big thank you again to Jessica Taylor from Cook Political Report, David Jackson, USA Today, Alex Seitzwald, uh, digital politics reporter for NBC News. Thank you, panelists. And thank you, all good friends, for joining us today for the special post midterm uh, roundtable on the Bill Press Pod. We'll be back on Tuesday. We'll know a lot more by then. May even know who's won in, hopefully who's won in Arizona and Nevada. And uh, who's going to be controlling the House? Paul Begala uh, from CNN, great political commentator, one of the best political analysts in the country, will be joining us uh, next Tuesday. So have a great weekend and we'll see you Tuesday on the next edition of the Bill Press Pod.